on this episode of the Africa Whisperer. Being born a, from, a, from a mom who is a woman who is like domestic worker and today employs over 48 people on a full-time basis, building a global and phenomenal brand. Who else do I want as a, as a motivational uh, role model? Hey, I'm Lee Kasumba. And this is our journey across Africa, navigating the intricate landscapes of business, culture, and global influence from the African perspective. David, uh, let me say, Dr. David Kale, I'm so excited to be able to have you on the podcast. I thought of a million ways that I could introduce you. Um, you know, this season is about, pe- about people who are visionaries and how they consistently revision, re- uh, rebuild, redream, they reimagine, and they see things that other people don't. So um, I'm going to try not be emotional throughout this because I've known you for a very long time. It's been a privilege and a blessing. And I'm actually wearing this color instead of black because when I first started working on radio, you know, I was so awkward <laughs> and I had to present an award um, at the 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 South African Music Awards at the summers, and you literally made me a dress in this, a, a skirt in this color with black. So I was like, this is me and David's connection moments. So. <laughs> Look at you, Lee. Honest, you have to pull out honestly, all the archives, isn't it? Honestly, honestly, you know what means a lot to me about that is that, um, you know, especially then, and I think even now, many designers, they don't uh, almost take a chance on somebody who's not known or take a chance on somebody who's awkward looking. But the only thing I've ever received from you was always reaffirming me as a person, reaffirming my vision, reaffirming where I was going, reaffirming my roots. So you have a very dear place in my heart. And, and I know that many people who've had an interaction with you or who have the privilege of calling you their friend will say exactly the same thing. David is always the person who's looking out for everybody. So it is a privilege to have you, Dr. David Kale, because, you know, you now have an honorary <laughs> doctorate. <laughs> Let me respect myself. Welcome to the Thank Africa you, Whisperer. Yes, you're too kind. Thank you. Now, David, let's take things back to you growing up in Fort Loris in South Africa, right? Um, and obviously, uh, at the time that you were growing up is when South Africa had just, and especially at the time when fashion was really influencing you, was when South Africa had just come out of apartheid, you know? It was almost mm-hmm. in that bridge, is Mandela going to be released? Is he not going to be released? What's happening? What isn't happening? You know? Um, and I kind of wonder, living like that and, and just being one of the people who's coming out and being like, wow, we can do this thing. How did that, you know, where was your point of reference for fashion and your point of reference for the possibility of being a global brand? Because I know you had it in your mind for a very long time. First of all, I just let me let me just like start from the beginning. I'm really humbled that you you, you chose to interview me uh, on this wonderful platform and congratulations to you for for your journey. That has been like super amazing. And um, and now that we're here, um, it's, it's, it's a really beautiful journey moment and um coming back to your question is a uh, is that you know i think when i was in my first year of fashion which is 1994 that was like literally our year of democracy as, as a country uh full-on yeah. getting into democracy i was my in my first year of fashion and um for me what was going on in my mind is that you know yes we have a clothing and textile industry, but do we have a fashion industry? We did not have a fashion industry that was kind of like lucrative. Only, the only thing we had, like most parts of, our, of us in the continent, that everybody just makes clothes. You have that tailor or you have that dressmaker, you have that mama mm-hmm. that always pulls to, together a look for you. Um, but the very interesting time was like we had really beautiful, amazing designers um, and brands like your Stone Sherry, Lockton Culture, um, uh, my gents, um, I mean, the list goes on. Aboso, Nwabile Ndamase, Sister Bucks, and Julian and the boys are going on at that time. And coming into this space as a young um, young man then, um, getting into the space of like, okay, I want to find out more. I want to, I want to, I want to acquire more knowledge about this industry was as a point of saying, I want to be more than just what the other people are already doing. Um, I want mm. to become like the international brands that are currently look up to and been lo- looking up to over the years. And because uh, I always 
I only said, why don't we have a global luxury brand that is proudly made in South Africa or in Africa? And that was one of my drives because, I mean, before when going to fashion school, I was starting to be an auditor. I could be like a fantastic auditor by now, hopefully, (laughs) (laughs) having like an an accounting firm or something. But um, there was this calling that I've always just like had or even this yearning to want to to, to know more in fashion. And uh, looking back today, I still bless that day when I made that decision to say, I want to be a fashion designer. Yeah, I love that. And I think we all bless that day, honestly speaking, because you've really been one of the, and you are one of the key people in terms of changing the tapestry and the narrative about, around African fashion, what it is around luxury and about consistency. Um, I still want to tap into your childhood because if I'm not mistaken, there was four siblings. You grew up in Fosloros with your mom and your yeah. four siblings. What was that mm-hmm. upbringing kind of like? You know, which sibling were you? Were you the, the favorite? Were you the naughty one, the mischievous one? Were you the sweet one? You know, which one were you that your that your siblings are not going to come and say David David we are Mark that's me trying <laughs> um I was I was one of those siblings that were kind of like really spoiled by my mom for a long time until my younger brother was was born but I was kind of like the one that was like always enslaved by my sisters, who was always doing the chores, cleaning, doing the garden, cleaning the, the, the yard completely and everything else. I'm the one who has to like prepare the wood for the fire and make sure that I bring the coal inside. I was like, I was that guy wow. that was always just like... Slave um, labor. <laughs> just slave labor and everybody just like wanted everything from me. Um, and then the third part was like, Yes, when my mom was home, I was the loved ones, the loved one. But when she went to work, I was abused by my sisters, like through and through. Hey. It was just like, and I was like, I'm going to get you one day. I'm going to get you. It's one day, one, one day is one day. And the other day, I, I, I remember this very well. I was very mad at my sisters. I took like one of my sister's sandals because they like literally brutalized me and abused, I, like took one of her favorite sandals, cut them. And because I knew that she loved them. Came back, my mom found out that I did that. Did I get a spank or did I get a spanking? That was like crazy. But it was, it was all out of love. And, uh, and growing up in Fosterers with my sister's influence and, and later on with my younger brother, um, I was like, for a very longest of time, I was the only boy in the house. Got the influences from all my mom, my sisters, cleaning, cooking, neatness, and making sure that, you know, I'm able to take care of myself. And then it turned out that, you know, like when I got into um, high school, when I was able to like read uh, cooking receipts and everything else, I was starting to be like the better cooking one because I was like very creative in the kitchen. And my mom was like, what is happening with you? Why are you cooking? I'm like, well, I just enjoy cooking. And then then she started enjoying my cooking. And then over time, I was like, I love your cooking, but my God, my kitchen becomes a mess when you are cooking because everything is everywhere. And you like take out all the ingredients and everything else. But it was really nice. And I enjoyed enjoyed that upbringing because it helped me to become the person that I am today. It helped me to become... Uh, the men that I am today, I understand and respect the human side or aspect of of who I am and other people. I value that. And um, over the over time, I mean, bless my mom's soul. After after after, after her passing, I started seeing. Mm. I used to see a lot of my mom in me, but now it's just like it's on steroids. It's like in terms of wow. cleanliness, in terms of neatness, in terms of how things need to be done, how you need to take care of your house and everything. I see that in like those influences coming majorly, uh, not only in my house, but also in my, in my atelier when I want everything to be clean, neat, and, you know, making sure that it's properly done. But the one thing that is really, really amazing that I, I, I will forever be grateful uh, being raised in Fosterus and by this wonderful woman is her teaching me about God and knowing who God yes. is in my life. Yes. And today I am that 
man that I believe my mom wanted me to be uh, because of those teachings. And, um, you know, when I look at my journey and pe- like most, some of the people that ask me, how have you sustained, how have you survived? Mm. I don't think I would have survived if it was not of God's grace, my mom's teaching Amen. and understanding yeah. what, not even God's role, the importance on, of understanding who God is in our lives. Mm. Um, I don't think if I did not have that uh, foundation and being very rooted in the word of God and in the journey of, of, of wanting and yearning to know who God is in our lives, I don't think I'd still be standing today. Because when, 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 when chips are down, when life hits you so hard, what happens? What do you do? In the past, I used to like call my mama. This is what's going on. She's like, come, let's pray. Come, let's pray. I Today, that. I missed that call. I come, let's that. pray. Come, let's pray. Nothing beats uh-huh. God. God can take you throughout, can take you through this situation. And he, favorite, favorite scripture, be like, you know, um, when um, Hezekiah saw the dry bones, he'd be like, do you believe these dry bones can live again? God like, live yeah, again. They can come alive again. That was my mom's line. If God was able to make those bones come alive again and join and live again, so God can be able to take you through this situation. So um, I'm forever grateful of that upbringing. I'm forever grateful of the childhood teachings of you choose whether you go to church or you choose lunch. So you had to, those were the, the struggles. You had to choose like, uh, <laughs> if I stay away from Sunday school and church, clearly I'm not having Sunday lunch. And you know, you know, growing up uh, back home, Sunday lunch was one of the biggest meals that you could have in a week. So, um, uh, and then I, I'm grateful of those sacrifices. But with time, I, I then then became born again, accepted Christ, and just like live according to to what I believe. Not only what my mom was teaching me, but what I was discovering who God is in my life and in my journey. And I believe being so active at church being so active within my community and everything else had a direct impact in, my, in in who I am today. I love that. And you know, David, the thing about you is that exactly who you say you are and exactly what you say about your faith is exactly the person that you are. Because I remember um, we went on a very long trip, literally to the other side of the world. <laughs> I think we were like stuck at some airport or something like that, you know, and, and everything. And I just remember that each time that we were in stops or in situations or waiting, are we coming before we saw the Northern Lights, all of that. Every single time you were always encouraging me, like you, you literally like your walk with God. It's not like you and God. It's like almost like one and you're very centered in that, you know? And for me, I think what I loved about that and perhaps the reason why I'm so drawn to you is that I, you know, I, I, I also have like a, a strong faith and I love to see people who are doing so well, you know, and they're like, mm-hmm. look, this is all God. And they really mean it. It's not just when they're like accepting an award and not, I'm not saying in a judgmental way, but you truly are, um, you know, your faith really is like it, it, you exude it. You know, it's like no. your, your faith like exudes everything that you do, you know? Thank you. Um, Thank you know, you. and also, yeah, you know, there's also like another part. I know Ricky Rick was somebody who you were close to and Ricky had yeah. walked um, in, in at least one of your fashion shows. And, yeah. you know, and I remember the one time in an interview, not with me, um, somebody else, Ricky was saying about how, you know, Coca, see, the uncles knew how to dress. They were wearing their right shoes. Everything was like on point. You know what I mean? Um, and yeah. Coca, see, for people not from South Africa, everybody in South Africa is going to be slating my accent. Anyhow, <laughs> for people not from South Africa, that's like um, from like the townships, from like the hoods. Yeah, I'm embarrassing myself. The township from like the hood. Like for you, like in Fosloris, what was the, the flavor? Like what is the township flavor like in terms of the way people were dressing, you know, um, you know, and, and, and also like now getting inspiration from like the township and from Kokasi, because everybody's always thinking like, oh, we need to get something from like over there, you know, but you always, no. uh, your inspiration is very rooted while it's still luxury. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, like, you know, growing up was like really beautiful. I, I think I, we come, growing up in the townships, we like had a wonderful upbringing. So one of my uncles, who was kind of like a, a technician in his own right, and he was fixing people's mm-hmm. um, radios and TVs and whatever, but he was like this man that would wake up every morning, get dressed in a three-piece suit, a tie, a distressed leather bag with his tools and everything, and a hat. And I loved walking around with him. Imagine... 
having a direct <laughs> influence from this man on a daily basis until he passed away. And uh, I was like, actually, I think this fashion thing, actually, I, I got it literally from him because he was a very well-dressed man in the entire family. And this is from my father's side. Mm. And growing up, Kukasi, I it has been like really amazing because we would, we would have, um, now they call it the swankers, um, where every Sunday, yeah. Saturday, Sunday, the swankers would be parading in the streets. It was a huge movement. It was a culture. And everybody, I mean, like in in Congo, I call it they, they call it sapology. Um, but in 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 in, in, our, in our house, we called it um, uh, the swankers. And you'd see how these men and some women would make an effort of putting themselves together, looking good to the T. It didn't matter if they slept on the floor or anything else. But if it was the mm. day of the swankers and coming and parading in the streets. You would never, you'd swear that these people are coming from like very wealthy families and their fashion sense was like on point. And then you had the beautiful, um, pansulas and which we, we, there was one beautiful skirt. We called it, um, Ipenduga. It's like a, it's a, it's an, it's a, it's another version of the Scottish skirt kilt. And, uh, the, the the women and men used to wear that kilt and then the, it was fused with the ducks of London, very tiny little checks kind of thing. You'd find gentlemen wearing a um, ducks of London check, a pants, shirt, a jacket and a matching bag and then the cap. And then there was um, in the 80s when there was a huge movement of the, the punk era where it was just like... Um, I love you t-shirts right front to back in that yellow that you are wearing. You'd have love in front, you at the back. And then I remember when you were like trying to hit on someone, you'd be like, I love, and then turn around you. And then you like have to understand. I love that. I was talking to you. <laughs> I was talking to you. So, and then there was, there was the most beautiful thing uh, because I was raised in a church environment the biggest thing was the Sunday best dress up. When we went to church, my mom has always made sure that we all look the part. And then you come to church with, you see these ladies with hats that you don't even know. How is someone, someone behind you supposed to see the preacher or even anything else uh, happening? And <laughs> they'll be dressed to the nines. You'd be like, <laughs> so Sunday best played a major role in our lives. And then there was Christmas. And um, growing up, there was always, always brand new, brand new clothing for Christmas, um, uh, 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 yeah, for Christmas for all the children. And then we'd go for lunch, go to church, go for lunch, and then put on your, your, Sunday, your Christmas clothing. You walk around from house to house, you get Christmas gifts or sweets or whatever it is. And those were the moments which are really, really beautiful. Uh, but I, I yeah. do want to say that, you know, growing up, Ekasi has like literally had an amazing, amazing impact on me. Yeah. Not only that, you look at um, the mamas, I mean, all our neighbors in our, in our streets or in our communities, where they were our, our moms. And you see how they got dressed when they're going to get that bus or in that taxi. They dressed to the nines. They were ready. By, they were ready. There was no they, mistake. It don't matter what happened. Whether they work as a domestic worker or they work at um, at a at a, at a at a bus terminal cleaning the buses, including my mom. My mom was was a pure domestic worker, and later on she worked in a, at a bus bus terminal cleaning the buses and everything else. And some people were working like. In, big factories like Unilever and whatever. But you see these ladies, how they put themselves together, going into a bus. It's like a fashion show of note. But that was quality of life. And also just saying, you know what? We may have the little that we have, but we are going to look the best on a daily basis. You know, with a lot of Africans, we can, we can relate to... Christmas being the day that you're getting new clothes. You know, your Christmas clothes are coming, new clothes. your Easter clothes, yeah, exactly. you know, new clothes, new clothes. Um, and also just talking about the township and the township economy, you know, um, we've spoken about the creativity in the township, but I know that you had a fashion show in, in, in the Val and you took it yeah. back. And this wasn't like when you were in the beginning, it was when you were like the David Clale, as in the house of David Clale. 
Hey, I like that. You know, you 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 did what many people didn't do, and you went back and did a fashion show. Um, you know, in the Val. For you, why was that important? It is very important for me. Uh, like Lee, my journey has always been about. Um, I come from the dusty streets of, of Fosterers, and then now I need to to inspire the very young people that are still growing up in the township to say. There's nothing wrong in being born in the township. There's nothing wrong in being born in the hood or in, 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 the, in the rural areas. There's nothing wrong. The only thing that really matters is the choices that you make and where those choices are able to take you. And uh, for me, when I did that, the, the, the show was called um, um, New York to Fosterers or Fosterers to New York, was like, I love that. let's bring it back from, from the streets of... Manhattan to, to Johannesburg, the very same collection we showcase in Manhattan, and tell the people and tell our story to say, in this backyard where I was, where I started my business, where I was raised in these streets, these clothes have touched the grounds of the greatest in the world. And you as young people, you have a bigger responsibility to make sure that you are able to touch the very same grounds and to inspire the creative sector. And when we did that, we, we refused to only employ professional models and stuff like that. We, had, we did the entire casting in Fosterers. We had over 700 people to come for casting because they wanted to be models, bringing back wow. the, uh, the, the township economy. Um, the hair and makeup artists that we worked with are from the township. The suppliers, that we, the people that were doing catering, are from the township to say, yes, you have this business in the township, but you can take it global if you want. And the most important thing that we have as a current generation is to say, do not be selfish with your journey. Share it, Mm. impact, inspire, so that other people may help you build your legacy over time. Because, yes, it's great to be in the suburbs or in the city and everything else. But it's very important to make sure that you share your stories because the Bible says we overcome by the word of our testimony. And our testimony is the one that touches and changes people's lives to say, the very same young boy that went to the Tomo Primary School in Fosloras went to Tutolisedi High School and finished his metric in a township. Today, he has showcased in the likes of Paris Fashion Week, New York Fashion Week, London Fashion Week, uh, Brussels Fashion Week, and is currently employing over 48 people on a full-time basis and distributing wow. locally and internationally. And these stories are actually possible, and but only when you recognize the power of humble beginnings. Oh, I love that. Um, yeah, I really, I don't know. Every time you speak, I'm just like, okay, I don't know what to say afterwards, but no. Um, yeah, honestly, because I, I get caught up in what you're saying. You always open my mind in different ways. Um, so David, also just talking about New York Fashion Week, you know, like taking it into global, because obviously in South Africa, you you had so much success. You won the L Design and you New Designer in 2003, and that's when you had launched um, uh, David, David Clally brand. And I think you then interned with Julian, and the boys yeah. and they and you asked you asked this was in 2005 and you asked oh when will i start making money and then he was like think of 20 years so <laughs> now, honestly for real if somebody told me i was going to start to be able to make money in 20 years i'd be like 20 years in like the speed of light time 20 years as in god can do it in a split second like 20 years is like a day or <laughs> you know what i mean um, so for you, like just hearing that, that you were only going to start making money in 20 years, what was, you know, like, what did you learn from that? And has that been true in terms of the work that you've done? Because you are honestly one of South Africa and Africa's most celebrated, um, you know, designers. So everybody always has the idea that when you have the house of David Clale, the David Clale, there's money coming in. You've got like amazing clientele, which you do have amazing clients, but what's the reality behind it for people who want to go into um, the fashion business or anything? What is the reality behind the actual building of something that's sustainable? You know, um, Lee, the thing is, when Julian said you start making money after 20 years, um, I thought he was just lying. You know, he was just like, he just wants you to give up and just like, okay, this thing is not going to work. And I was like, you know what? 
I want to sustain until that 20 years and let's see how far we can go. But also I did not pay attention to it. And, I, and then I said, okay, fine. We have this journey that we are getting on. Yes, Julian may be the designer during a particular era, but we are current generation. How do we change that? How do we change that mentality? The one thing that really, um, really struck my mind or like, that really like hit me hard was along the journey of building, you have to be patient. You have to have stamina. And you must be consistent. And um, has it been hard on a daily basis? Have we struggled? Are we struggling continuously? You do not want to know how many times I've always wanted to just like filing for bank- bankruptcy. Because mm. of the nature of the industry, and also because of um, the, the, how economy and people spending money has changed over every other time, every other year. And um, where I met people say, you're very successful. I'm like, what is success? And the other day I was li- listening to a very uh, powerful um, um, motivational speaker. that like, success is hard work. When you wake up and ha- work hard every morning, that's, that's success because You've succeeded from yesterday. Today, you continue and do it. Do you ever get satisfied as, as an entrepreneur? You, you don't. You just keep wanting to reinvent yourself. You keep wanting to do better on a daily basis. Are we, question is, are we successful today? Yes, we are successful. Because why? We, we have created jobs. We're feeding families. We are part of a growing industry. Mm-hmm. We've inspired and keep on inspiring young yeah. people um, along the journey. Money is relative, comes and goes. But question is, when you have the money, do you have the legacy? Do you have the roots that defines you and sets you apart from everyone else? I speak boldly Mm. because I look at my journey from 2012 to where we are. We has, as a brand, David Clanley, we have um, run internship programs and have touched touched and changed people's lives more or less over eight, 386 designers have gone through this intensive wow. program. Where we are sitting today, there's amazing brands that have actually merged from the program called The Intent by David Lally. We talk about Ndando XV, who's currently working and employing a few people. We talk about Keletzo Muraba, who is now a designer. He employs people, showcases at Fashion Week. I'm talking, these people that I'm talking about are already at, at bigger platforms. Jukum Gatti out in Durban, Nogwanda Ngobo in Durban. And um, we have uh, Cindy Mfabe, who's now our pattern maker, full-time in-house. We have the likes of Muso Maxwell, who has won the World Prize um, in London. It's an international pro, uh, uh, prize. And there's many others. And as we speak right now, we are currently interning 12 other young designers who are fresh from university, Incredible. bridging the gap between academics and the business of fashion. And as we turn 20 this year, Lee, I am super grateful of that stamina. I am super grateful of God's grace upon us with all the Amen. good, the bad, and the ugly, the, the falling down and the rising every day, and the prayers and everything else that we've done throughout the journey to be where we are today. I'm grateful of all those lessons, whether they were hard, whether they were easy, and the beautiful collaborations that we've had along the journey. They have built, to, they've built us to be who we are today. And um, we're turning 20 by God's grace, and we, I believe we are still counting November. many more years to come. And... Um, mm-hmm. When I look back on that conversation that I had with Julian, I'm grateful that I had that conversation with him. Because why? It opened my mind to say, actually, there are other people who can be overnight successes. And not talking badly about other brands that have come and gone that we don't even see anymore. But I'm just saying there is a greater reward in anybody that sustains, that maintains, and that keeps running, and that keeps rising. Where we are today, I, I stand, and I, I, I just like, I wake up every morning, I'm like, God, I'm so grateful that 
I am able, as the house of David Lally, to, to employ so many people, to touch and change so many people's lives. And I always say to my interns, if I die tomorrow or today, I'm cool. The legacy will continue. Yeah. Because there are brands that have merged out of the house of David Lally. And, um, I and I believe 20 years later, um, I was talking to the team the other day. I was like, I feel like our journey has just begun. Like literally, mm. after the 8th of November, after the celebration, it's like literally it's a reset button. Now let's run the race from scratch. But now we don't start with zero. We start with a, a whole lot of experience for 20 years. The, the rising, the falling and everything else, we are now starting to say, okay, fine, let's take this industry um, with vengeance and also trusting God for restoration and um, and also, I mean, just making sure that we represent the kingdom of God um, in a manner that deserves to be represented in. And for us to be creatives that carry not only our country's flags on our shoulders, but carry the kingdom of God wherever we go. Amen. It is very, very important that we, we do so and show them what, what God has done and what God is capable of doing. Hmm. Many people ask me, how have you sustained? How have you made it until this far? It's nothing else but the grace of God. And, and I believe where we are, God has taught us, God has taken us through, God has sustained us. Sometimes, you know, we, we speak with my accountant. He's like, David, I don't know how you do it because sometimes we don't have money to pay people on time. I'm like, just trust God. Watch God make a way out of nowhere. Yeah. And boom, yeah. out of nowhere. Money comes in. Something happens. Something happens. We are able to pay yeah. people on time. And people, our team, I mean, we have a big team. And there's never a time whereby, there used to be times in the past, like really, really hard times, like guys, we don't have money for salaries and wages. They're like, mm, I'm like, just take care of me. When we are fine, we'll take care of you. And the people that really love and are called to be part of this journey, they, they stay with us and they've maintained with us. And today... We are able to say we are grateful for those people that stayed with us. Um, is it easy to build an empire like this? It's not because of why, of the environment that we grow up in and we grew up in. And the, but the most amazing thing for me, Lee, is that God is able, God has been able uh, to sustain Amen. us through it all. And we are standing here today um, with a vision of still wanting to grow even further Amen. to to show what to show the world what God is capable of doing. Um, many a times we're like, "Who's your biggest inspiration?" I'm like, well, Nelson Mandela is, but I turned out to be my biggest inspiration because this young boy from Unu, uh, nobody, Alusin Gomo, like like literally being a shepherd and stuff like that, into politics, being a lawyer. 27 years in jail, came back, became a, a rock star, global rock star. Whether we want to or not, Nelson Mandela was a rock star at the end of it all. And we look at my journey. I was like, this boy from Fosloras, everybody um, naming him names, name shaming, and da 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 da. Coming from being born a from, by, from a mom who is a woman who's like domestic worker, and today employs over 48 people on a full-time basis, building a global and phenomenal brand. Who else do I want as a, as a motivational uh, role model? Me, myself. And I mean, like, sometimes people think, like, it's arrogance. I'm like, no, it's not arrogance. Because no, it's not, when you yeah. don't stop and look back where you come from, you don't realize how much you have done. And we don't give, give ourselves enough credit as human beings because it takes a lot for me to say, I'm waking up, I'm going to do it again. This is after the newspapers have trashed me. This is after the lawyers have, have wanted to come into my businesses to attach. This is so many other things that have happened along the journey. And it's like, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to do it. And this is the time when I just like look back and I'm like, you know what? God is able to do it. And I'm able to do it. And I'm able to sustain it.
what I love about you saying that you are your own inspiration, it's, you know, you say it in such a way that's so powerful because we literally need to look at where we came from to know where we can go, you know, our Absolutely. reference, like we are our best reference point, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that that's so powerful. Um, you mentioned uh, Madiba earlier on, um, and I remember that you did a fashion show um, for the for the celebration of his 92nd birthday, if I'm not mistaken, on the Nelson Mandela Bridge. You had 92 models. And I also remember, well, because I was there with you, the time we'd, <laughs> we'd gone to, what country was it again? To to Norway. Um, it was specifically for something around Madiba. So it was a Think Mental Fashion and his yeah. grandson was involved in that. Yeah. Um, my question is, because I don't actually know this. In my mind, I was racking my brain. Did you ever actually work directly um, with Madiba before he passed? Did you have any interaction at all? Because now when I think about it, there were so many parts of your life that were actually like, um, almost like touched by doing work with or about or inspired by Madiba. Did you ever actually get to work with him? Not directly. I've always uh, been in touch with the foundation. But for me, okay. it's, it has always been like, this person has done so much for a country has done for us mm. as, as, a, as a people. Mm. And, um, and I was like, you don't have to meet him in person, but the works will always follow. Now, today, you, you think about it, simple yeah. thing. Um, so many people have had a one-on-one -on -one engagement with Nelson Mandela, but what impact do they have? And also to celebrate or even honor what he actually has done for us as a, as, as a nation, as a continent, and as the world. Mm. And... You're talking about one of the major celebrations that we did when he turned 92, um, when we yeah. had 92 models on the Nelson Mandela Bridge. How iconic can that be? That will go always go down Honestly. on the yeah on on the history books, and then on the hundredth year um, centenary celebration of Nelson Mandela, we had hundred models and continuing the story. And for me, it's it's all those things that keep on reigniting and reminding us of the work that Nelson Mandela has done for us mm -hmm. because as much as, as a country and as a nation, we have so many issues. The, mo the most important thing is me and you were able to connect at, at, at another level, whether it be spiritual, yeah. academic, and also within the industry. It is all due to the work of Nelson Mandela and also the, the democracy that journey that we have walked as a country. And whether good, bad, or ugly, we are here because of those people. And at the end of it mm -hmm. all, we should forever be grateful and appreciate that journey. Today, me and you, or even our, um, our nieces and nephews, are able to go to multiracial schools. Our families, some of them are able to live in, um, in suburbs and everything else. In the past, we were not able to do that. Um, I think we, we tend to focus mostly on the negative but forgetting the positive, even the very same things that we are currently going through. We don't, we don't appreciate it. We don't appreciate where we are. Mm. We think like, ah, oh, yeah. this government is so bad, but forgetting that actually, number one, you're living in a gated community um, environment. Yeah. Who fought for that? You know, if, if it was not because of those struggles, the fights, people have died and the sacrifices that... Um, even the very likes of, of, of Nelson Mandela did. We wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be in gated communities. We wouldn't be able to own stores in shopping centers as black people. Those things were just like known for, for other people. But I mean, we're not going to be going back to that, but I'm just saying we should pause, stop and say, wait, look how far we've come. With all yeah. the flaws, with all the mistakes, with everything that has happened, we're not promoting all the negativity, but let's say, let's look at the beautiful things that are happening today. Our, the next generation beyond us are going to live a much better life than we are mm. actually living right now. Because right now, wherever we are as a country and as a nation, we're in a, in a space of transition. And this transition is not easy. It's not, um, it's, it, it's not, it's not, some, some of the things that are happening are not acceptable. But guess what? We need to realize that where we come from was the worst times, but where we are, it's good times because now we are able to even advocate for our own destiny. We are able to advocate yeah, for our own children, that. for the generations to come to say, no, do not do it like this because we are all humans at the end of it all. Take off, take off race, 
take off academics, take off money and everything else. Fact of the matter, me and you are human. So let us live in a much better environment than anything else. Yeah. So David, so now let's talk about just the transition from being David Klale in South Africa and you transitioning to start, um, you know, having fashion shows internationally. Like we mentioned, you mentioned in the conversation earlier, how you had already done London Fashion Week. You did, I mean, you did Paris Fashion Week, New York Fashion Week. I think you're the only African designer, if I'm not mistaken, who's done Mercedes Benz Fashion Week, like quite a few times, <laughs> you know, on repeat, um, which is incredible. But First, cracking into it. What did you learn the most about um, cracking into that industry and cracking into that, sorry, cracking into that market for you as an African designer? I think um, most importantly is, is, is having to understand your story and understanding your craftsmanship and your signature and what you stand for as a, as a brand. And um, I know this, that, you know, when we did um, a showcase around Paris Fashion Week in 2000. Um, 2000, I think not, 2007, um, under the auspices of African Fashion International with the leadership of Gavin Raja, it was me, Tula Cindy, Craig Jacobs, and uh, Tabani Mavundla. I learned a lot because that, I, I, and I know this for sure, this was my very first introduction to international stage because we did a smaller Yana presentation around Paris Fashion Week. It was not on Paris Fashion Week calendar, but we learned quite a lot during that time. And mm. to me, when I got to Paris, I was like, this is the life that I want. This is the David Clally I'd love to see. Fast forward, 2009 wins the uh, not, um, wins uh, Best Designer in Africa that gave us opportunity to showcase at uh, Mercedes-Benz New York Fashion Week 2009, you get them, you see, start seeing the likes of Tyson Beckford, Oluchi, Chanel, Iman, everybody. I'm like, what are we doing here? And then Naomi Campbell comes. I'm like, okay, this is what I want. And um, did I know what it costs? No, I did not know. Financially, it's very expensive. And then, let alone the finances, now the journey of being accepted to be on schedule. Because most people don't understand that you know, when you go, in the, especially in New York, for you to be part of the calendar at New York Fashion Week, you had to apply through IMG and then to be accepted. And then from being accepted, then what you need to do is create the collection, raise the money, and then be at New York Fashion Week. So the journey was hard. From 2009, after showcasing at uh, Arise uh, during New York Fashion Week, I started applying. And only in 2012... I said to my consul general in, um, in New York, I was like, um, CG, listen, I need to be part of New York Fashion Week. And I've been applying and these people are not responding. Uh, can you please help me? And it's like, that's our mission here to open those opportunities. He was like, but before you do that, come into an exhibition in the embassy uh, premises and let's see if, you know, you... You, you, you mean what you're asking for. I'm like, okay, cool, no problem. Lo and behold, during New York Fashion Week, we were not on calendar. Um, we did a small exhibition in the offices at the Consulate, of, Consulate General's office in New York, invited people to come, the media. and every, It was like, okay, great, Sam, this guy's got something. Then after that, immediately, the, the Consulate General was like, okay, fine, let's help you get onto New York Fashion Week. Started the journey set up an appointment for me. I got the appointment. When I got into for an interview, this woman that was like interviewing me, she comes in. What does she come in? With all my portfolios over wow. the years of wow. saying, you've been applying, not only you, but there's other people that have been applying with your name on it uh, to say, we want to bring a conglomerate of designers from Africa or South Africa to come and showcase, da, 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 da. I'm like, oh, wow. So much for trying. And um, I did that. And long story short, got accepted. I started first by presenting in the box where models are just like stationary. People move around. And then from there, that I did that for like three seasons. On the fourth season, I applied to do runway. That's when I was accepted, accepted to do runway. And uh, then I did like seven seasons without stopping. It was like really, really amazing. And, um, and what they taught me is that how we do fashion 
or Fashion Week in, in Africa and how the world actually does it, very different. It's night and day. Okay. But I learned quite a lot. It, learned, it, it taught me that you should be independent. You should have your own uh, funding or sponsorship or even whatever money that you require. Book your own model. Have a casting director. Have a show producer. Have a sponsor for hair and makeup. Have the venue. Have your production fee. All those things you have to make sure that you have them. And um, coming back home, it taught me most to say, always be different from what everybody yeah. else is doing. And mm -hmm. thus, over the years, we've always wanted to do our own standalone shows. Thus, we have shows at, we've had a, our first, first showcase was at the Seca Gallery. Then it was the Nelson Mandela Bridge at the South African Mint, at the Constitutional Hill, um, at the Unfinished Bridge in Cape Town, in Broke Up in, in the streets there. Um, and we've done like really, really amazing productions. I love it, and, uh, yeah. and it's been like really, really beautiful. And I think all these things, they help you build a profile in a, in a particular profile when you say you're going to watch a David Lally show. I mean, you, you know this, like there's always this cloud and this buzz around, okay, we are going to actually to, to, a, to a show. And, um, and along the journey, you get to, to, to perfect your craft. You know that people are just not coming to watch just the, the drama that you're creating, but they're wanting to see your finishing, your craftsmanship, the fabrics that you are, you're working and using with. And what is your story? What is your narrative at the end of it all? And um, over the years, I must say that the journey of showcasing in international platforms has like literally helped us to become the brand that we are today. And yeah, but, yeah. to be very decisive, to be very focused on our vision, and to our messaging to say, what are we saying? What are we doing? And how do we do it? And more than anything else is to say, uh, when I leave, how do we position an African brand from mm -hmm. South Africa to the global market when there is millions of designers everywhere in the world? How do you say, here I am, I'm from South Africa, I produce in South Africa, I manufacture my samples in South Africa and send it to the world. And when you get there, how do you set yourself apart from, um, from everyone else? Very interesting yeah. that, I mean, before, an hour before we, we had our conversation, I was talking to one of my clients slash friend uh, from New York. He's like, when I went to visit this friend of mine, he's a designer in New York, like he was telling me the tea about how the other designers are operating. He's like, mm, okay, cool. But the good part is that he's like, I'm coming to South Africa for for your 20th anniversary celebration. I'm like, Love okay, that. perfect. I'm like, at least people like that, who is my client from the US, will get to see it firsthand. We'll come to, my, to our atelier, see our production processes, see where we print our own fabrication, fabrications, and see how we do it actually back home. Yeah. And I think it's, it's exciting times right now for us to start telling these stories to the world, to say, this is how it started, and this is how it's going right now. So, and I think those are really, really beautiful, I would say stories and also narratives that would change the mindset of the world when the people think about what Africa has to offer or what Africa is actually made of. Now, um, you know, just talking about stories and narrative, I'd like to get your view, because um, there's always this thing with the creative industry. Should they be making commentary on what's going on politically and socially, or should they just keep it nice? You know, just keep it nice, brew, you know? <laughs> like, because um, I, I say this because you have the range, uh, The Immigrant, which was beautiful, beautiful Thank you. you know um Thank you. and for me um you know although i grew up in south africa and i obviously have south african citizenship um we've had this conversation before where there are always challenges of being an, an african in south africa even the the, mm -hmm. the whole phrasing seems crazy but you understand what i mean yeah. um when i when i saw that range and everything i was like i really wonder where david's mind was around this was it around the the way that us africans are treating each other what, what was it around that or the fact that we're all immigrants but i loved it and i think you printed your own fabrics around it um, and, and and all of that. So talk to us about that particular range, the immigrant, um, because I do feel that you've had all of these amazing ranges, but that is possibly one of the most statement ranges. Like it, it tells, like it, it captures, it's a snapshot in time. It tells yeah. you, it's like a history book. At that moment, I was going through quite a lot because, you know, it was a very challenging time when I conceptualized a collection whereby there was a lot of um, 
xenophobic attacks coming from South Africa and a lot of rumors happening around South Africans. And what really bothered me as an artist was, as a designer, was like, how do people perceive us as, as, as South Africans, as just as a just as a normal citizen, not as an, as an artist, not as an icon, but as a citizen of South Africa. And what really bothered me is that here we are as a brand made in South Africa, trading in Ghana, trading mm-hmm. in Nigeria, trading in Zimbabwe and everywhere else in the world. You leave your country with the stigma that South Africans are xenophobic. And now, how do we now change the narrative of saying, let us change what the status quo of what people think about us. Let us unite the continent. Because that's what we do as artists, whether it be fashion, music, food, anything. That's what we do. We connect through these things. And we have had a lot of these encounters together in different countries. And we see Mm. when we start breaking bread with other people, we actually even forget about our differences. We forget about what our politicians or people on the ground are just doing. We're just having a good time. People start enjoying our clothes. People enjoy our food. People enjoy our our music. And I'm like, with this collection, what I wanted to do is to bring uh, iconic faces and and people that actually played a major role in the making of the beauty of what South Africa is. I mean, from Samora Michelle, Grasa Michelle, Nelson Mandela, Winnie Mandela, you name it. And also collaborated with an amazing artist, Mandlin Gossi, who's a beautiful artist from, um, from Zimbabwe, lives in South Africa. And for me, it was like, you look at South Africa and Zimbabwe, the only thing that separates us is one road, like literally. Yes. It's just a matter of a road, yes. like seriously. And yeah. a road and a river. And beyond that, we are human. We live together. We interact in many ways in our restaurants, in our homes. We marry them, we date them, we do everything with them. And now let's bring it forth in the arts. And also let's tell the people that we are actually one. And Mm -hmm. um, the messaging behind um, the immigration collection was like, let us stop this xenophobic um, mentality because it's all mentality. It's not mm-hmm. the real thing. And it's mostly, it's cooked by other people for their own political their reasons. Own political reasons. But we, as the people that are on the ground, we actually love each other. We live with yeah. one another. We, 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 we don't even see that this person is actually not a South African. You don't see me as, 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 as a South African. You see me as a person that you love and appreciate. I've never seen you as anything else except for, for Lee that I love and I love her craft. And mm. what, and where does xenophobic attacks comes in? You can see that this is a man-made battle. This is a man-made yeah. war. Do we need it? We don't need it. We need to fight it. We need to unite the human race. We need to make sure that we can build the continent and make sure that we amplify and advocate for unity and humanity more than anything else. Yeah. You know, David, um, what you said is so powerful. And thank you very much for saying that. You know, um, it's always it's always great when it comes from somebody with such a strong voice like yours. Um, you know, when I think about, for me personally, when I think about xenophobia um, it, within South Africa, I know it happens in different parts of the, the continent in different ways, tribalism, all of that. But specifically when I think about xenophobia or when I think about tribalism um, across the continent in different countries, you know, what we don't realize as Africans is that xenophobia is a result of apartheid. Do you understand what I mean? It's like it's like a legacy of apartheid. So Absolutely. is tribalism a, a legacy of colonization? So every mm-hmm. single time we are not, you know, we don't like somebody who is from another African country um, because they're from another African country. You literally are making the the people who are part of apartheid. You're you're leaving. You're you're increasing their legacy. That's all that Absolutely. it is because yeah, the whole like, idea was to celebrate. Yeah. You're amplifying it. Every yeah. time, you know, we sit in a, one part of the continent and you're like, you know, say, for example, everybody's like, oh, I don't like Nigerians. I don't like this, you know, or there's tribalism or the different tribes within countries are, are going against each other. You literally are doing what it is that the colonialists set out to do. So in exactly. that, 
you know, you, you are helping the colonizers legacy to live on. And that's a message that I don't think, yeah, that's a message that I don't think gets out strong enough. And what has been so beautiful is that the creative and culture industry in Africa has reminded us of who we are as a people. So I'm going to come to this, uh, you know, to kind of bring this conversation to a wrap. It's so hard because I could literally speak to you for hours. (laughs) And, you know, whenever I see you, David and I are always like, oh, don't Um, worry, we'll meet from two till three. (laughs) Nine o'clock, ten o'clock, we're still talking and we're not finished yet, you know. So I really love having conversations. Uh, yeah, definitely. So, you know, just Ghana, because this is one of the places that we've been able to reconnect in the most amazing way, you know. Yeah. Um, and I know that you're involved with Tad's Fashion Institute here. The the people at that school, the kids at that school, they adore you, you know. Um, there's also, uh, obviously, you're doing a lot here. You're showcasing in Ghana. You've got a great clientele and everything, which is really fantastic. Now, I, I remember being at a, at a masterclass that you did during Fashion Connect Africa, and you said something about how, you know, Africa has always been about um, high fashion. It's always like people are always making once-offs because we have, you know, everybody has like a tailor. Like you have a tailor who makes that once-off. And I thought to myself, I never really thought about it in that way. You know, we really have always been. And it reminded me of what Vanya said in, in, in the interview that I had with her. And she said, as Africans, when it comes to adorning ourselves with jewelry, we were doing it way before anybody way else. You know, we just before. never, way before. It was, well, people were wearing gold, like walking around wearing gold, you know. In terms of the the, the, the the fashion, the textile and the clothing industry in Africa and from your work around the continent, where, which countries would you say are, are kind of getting it right a bit? And what do you think needs to be done holistically? Like if you were the president of Africa, for lack of a better phrase, and you could you could do, implement something that was going to change uh, the direction and, and, and of the, the creative, uh, sorry, of the clothing and textile industry in Africa, what would you say that main change should be to be able to make something that's lucrative that people can live off um that you can create jobs what, what would your thoughts be around that and also any highlights from different countries that you feel stand out like i know you love nigeria nigeria loves you ghana all of that stuff you mentioned drc which for me drc people from congo are like when i think kinshasa i just think swag you know every day I, that's all i think <laughs> every day every day like every time you're around congolese people i'm like is this thing by force please it's, it's a gym <laughs> exactly yeah so i mean yeah. I think the first thing that I would do if, if, if I was president, let me not say the president of, of the continent. If, the, if I would be the president of fashion in the continent, I first of Amen. all, I would, I, would, I would unite the industry and not change of the powerful um, township or hood economy that is happening. I would rather amplify it because... You know, we spoke about something really, really powerful earlier on about the colonizers. Colonizers always say you must regulate. You don't need to regulate Africa. Africa has got it going on. Like you say, in Ghana, you'd see like the Ashanti people and the king just like swag gold on a day just to go to the market, like wearing gold (laughs) because it's normal, you know? Um, All I'm saying is we would amplify those markets and make sure that those people, they flourish even better, more than what they're doing, and realize that you mm. are actually the heartbeat of the clothing and textile industry. Let's not regulate it, but let us make sure that you channel it in a way that you become much more profitable, you have bigger spaces to operate. Um, as Africans, we've always had swag. I mean, on a daily basis, without, it's, not, it's no effort. And now- It's no effort. It's no effort, it's not like it's no brainer. Um, because why? We are able to make it ourselves. We are able to put it to all together. Simple thing that I'm going to talk about. People say, oh, there's this trend for caste people. That is a colonizer's mentality to say, okay, Ooh. we need to find people that are going to now research uh, what are the next trends for the next season. Like, sit down. Number one, we have Esther Mashlangu, who takes yellow, green, pink, orange, white, blue, red, put it all together and come up with an amazing painting. Who has, told, who has taught her to do that? Nobody. It's an innate ability that God has granted unto her and anointed her with that creativity to say, do that. And then later on, because now someone has decided there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a trend analyst or research group that are going to find out what is the next big thing. Next big thing is 
color blocking. Excuse me. We've been color blocking without wow, yeah. the trend forecasters, without their research. We've been color blocking. We don't need a label. We don't need a label. <laughs> Do you understand? So um, you look at the Debelles, you look at the vendors, you look at the, the Tsongas, you look at the Basutus who do like a simple color, brown and cream white, and make it trendy. Like nobody taught you that. Take blue and yellow, put it together. Amazing. So all I'm saying is, all we'll have to do is to amplify these markets and make sure that people are now able to support each other and just restructure the value chain. Ne? To say, you do the fabrics, you do the artworks, you do the processing, you do the manufacturing, and ultimately the whole market actually does get to benefit. I love Because that. you go to, you, simple thing, you go to these markets. I love, like you say, I love the continent. I love going to Nigeria. I go to, I come to Accra quite often. And you go to the markets. Have you ever sat down and understand the amount of cash that flows on the mm. ground on a daily basis? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is why Europeans and Americans feel like if we keep the black men down, just oppressed, we will always win. But they don't realize yeah. the amount of money. The mamas that are selling the fabrics, they're selling the canter, they're selling the fish, they're selling the rice, they're selling how much money they accumulate on a daily basis. So for me, is to say, how do we amplify it? How do we make it greater? And understand the power that we have as an African child. As you mentioned at the beginning or earlier on in this conversation about how, um, you know, you, about how you were going to be celebrating 20 years. So you started um, the House of David Clarley in 2003. Now it's 2023. I believe the 8th of November, it's 20 years. Yeah. And you said about how it's going to be a reset. For you, what is your um, biggest generational dream and hope for the next 20, 40, 60 years of uh, the House of David Clarley? I, my dream is to have a global brand that is established beyond, um, I would say, the current big houses. Um, I always like to do comparison with like the, the house of Dior, the, the house of Gucci, uh, Prada and all. I, I see the house of David Lally becoming one of those brands and playing that space. And uh, not only just for fads, but for timelessness. When you look at um, Amani, how he has built his empire. And also you look at um, how, I mean, um, Harolina Carrera or, or, or Dolce has, has done. This is where I would like to see the brand David Lale becoming, what it, it, it becomes. And um, be one of those brands. I don't want to be the only one. I want to be one of those brands um, that actually has been able to change the narrative about the African child and the stigma around my beautiful melanin and to say for the fact that I'm born in this side of the world, it does not mean I'm disabled, but it means I'm capable and I'm very much wealthy because of my heritage, because of my upbringing, because of the diversity that was instilled in me from my childhood. And to say to the world, this brand, David Lally, is here to stay and also not compete because in the world, there's such a huge cake and everybody can have a slice. And for me, is to say, as a brand that started out from nothing in 2003 to where we are going, I believe we've managed and we're able to build a clientele and a following that will follow us anywhere in the world. And now, as we tap into another dispensation of our journey and through God's grace of being able to to broaden and not only reset, but um, expand our footprint, expand our territory into the global markets, it is, I believe it's just, it's just the right thing to do. And that's what I want to see on a daily basis. And in 5, 10, 15, 20, 100 years to come, I want our children's children to be wearing, and not only talking about it, but wearing and also working at the house of David Lally International. 
I love that. Thank you so much, David. We really could have spoken about so many things because all jokes aside and in all seriousness, you have the journey that you have had the experiences that you've had, the successes that you've had. I know many people are going to be like, you never asked him about this. You never asked him about that. You know, I really wanted to, you know, to give people a taste of the person of David Clale, um, the pleasure that I have to be able to talk to you all the time and the wealth of knowledge that you have. We could have spoken about many things um, that you've done. You know, the fact that you've now got an honorary doctorate at TUT University. I'm just like, <laughs> honestly speaking, it's like, it's like God has his favorites and you clearly are one of them. Um, you know, so yeah, we really just look forward to what it is that you do in the future as well. And from a personal perspective, I honestly wish nothing but the absolute best for you. Like Thank you. you, you're Thank one of those people, you know, it's very hard to find good people when you work Thank in the create in, in, when you're in a work kind of place. And I've been blessed enough to find that in you wishing yeah. you the best. And thank you so much for being a guest on this uh, episode of the Africa whisperer. Truly. Thank you, Lee. Thank I don't, you so I don't know anybody else who could have um, filled the spot in the way that you did. Thank you so much, David. I've done so many cool things, but I've never thought, Oh, turn this into a patent file this you know have the nasa legal go through the process of filing this as an actual patent and getting your invention like on paper and disclosure and all of that 